This is the Whole Care Network. Helping you tell your story one podcast at a time. Content presented in the following podcast is for information purposes only. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the host and guest and may not represent the views and opinions of the Whole Care Network. Always consult with your physician for any medical advice and always consult with your attorney for any legal advice. And thank you for listening to the Whole Care Network. This is Sarah, and I just want to take a moment to speak to you about this week's sponsor, Favor. Favor Inc. is a statewide family led nonprofit 501c3 organization that is committed to empowering families as advocates and partners in improving educational and health outcomes for our children. Favor is the Connecticut State Organization of the Federation of Families for Children's Mental Health. Favor offers a single place for families with children who have medical, mental, emotional, and behavioral health challenges to find information, assistance, and training. To find out more about Favor, please go to favor-ct.org. We are grateful for our opportunity to work with Favor as a sponsor, and now on to the rest of the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Caregiver Chronicles. My name is Sarah, and today I have Margot Rose with me as my guest. Margot is the author of the book, Body Aware Grieving, a fitness trainer's guide to caring for your health during sad times, and also the host of the podcast, Body Aware Living. And she is also a personal trainer for over 20 years. Hello, Margot. How are you doing today? Hello, Sarah. I've been so excited to talk with you and looking forward to this moment to connect with you and connect with all of your, you know, busy and kind and sweet people in your community. So it's really great to be here. Thank you. Well, it's so great to have you here. Thank you so much for being here and taking the time to talk with me. I know we chatted before and we had such a good conversation Yeah, it means a lot to me that you're here. So thank you so much for being here. Would you like to further introduce yourself to my audience? Well, since your audience is about the, you know, the caregivers, I would just say that I've uh, been supporting caregivers for a long time through having done fitness with seniors. And then a lot of the people who were calling me were the adult children of the seniors who were struggling to live independently. And they were often having a lot of conflict, uh, meaning the, the senior wanted to be independent in their home and the adult child. And this is where your community might come in. They were often juggling care for their own selves and careers and children with an ailing parent who was wanting to stay independent. So it was usually the sort of frazzled, you know, sandwich generation family caregiver that would call me and they'd be like, can you help me with my mom? She's, you know, falling down like a bowling pin and we just can't (laughs) get her to, you know, take the help that we think she needs so that we've got more time to care for our other responsibilities. So I sort of ended up being like caring for the whole situation, caring for the whole group of people. But the passion really became caring for those adult caregivers that are trying to do too much. And their own care and their own health uh, was often dangerously at risk. So that's really what I've adjusted my direction towards right now. So 
that's a little more information. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And um, do you want to talk about how, like, what your inspiration was for your book, Body Aware Grieving? You know, I've gone through my own series of really hard times. And so we don't, no one says, I know what'll be fun. Let's go into the grief business. Like, that'll be easy and fun and tons of money. Like people, people go there because they've been through their own hard times and they want someone else to suffer less. So that's the core inspiration. But uh, in my own life and in helping my clients, what I've seen is that people's health would decline rapidly. You know, you when you're feeling good and everything's kind of going right in your life, you'd see, I'm going to have my fitness goals and the, I'm going to go to the gym or whatever people want to do or think they have as the only path towards staying fit but then as soon as they had a breakup they had caregiving they had you know caring for a sick pet or the loss of a pet they had a you know loss of a job worry about finances those are the times when people would lose fitness so fast through accidents and injuries and stress-related setbacks so a stress-related setback could be overeating over drinking any sort of coping mechanism a stress-related setback could be you know, having so much stress at work that you come home and you blow up at your family. Well, now you've got two problems. You've got a work problem and a family problem. So, you know, how do we lose our less wellness during the hard times has has become my orientation towards things, meaning we don't have as much catching up to do in between the life challenges. And for a lot of us, frankly, especially the caregiving sandwich generation or club sandwich generation if it's got that many layers uh you know we don't really have a lot of clear path to when we're going to feel great enough to take care of ourselves. it's sort of like a moving train for a lot of people's daily life so I like to just keep things really into the five to 15 minute zone of like what can you do and can we do could I do something with you in your in your in your community right now for two minutes of course let's assume that the perfect care receiving moment isn't going to occur. So what if people right now, I mean, the whole deep breath thing is a little corny, but honestly it works. So what if we take like two or three deep breaths, even relax our jaw. Ah, We don't understand how much tension we keep in the front of our neck. We think about the back of our neck, but the jaw on our face, inhale and take one big breath. And exhale, relax, jaw, ah, ah. And we could take a couple more of those. I don't want to take up your own show, your whole show. But the next thing I would ask people, especially because caregivers feel like I, I, they don't have a lot of control over their life. A lot of times if, if, they, if they could change the things they need to do, if they could change the people who needed care, they would. You know what I mean? They, they can feel kind of powerless. So part of maintaining motivation and maintaining sort of reducing depression is to feel like I can influence my own well-being. So one of the things we could do right now is we could start just listeners as depending on their environment, just start wiggling around and asking yourself the question, how much more comfortable could I be right this minute? Like right this minute, what do you need? Do you need a sip of a beverage? Do you need, do you need to stretch? If you've been sitting, do you need to stand? If you've been standing, do you need to sit? a couple shoulder rolls, like what could you do in the next like 30 seconds, you know, cupping your eyes if you've been, if you're not driving currently and you've been looking at a lot of screens, wiggling your fingers, if your hands are tight, like if, if people can do something like right now and for the next less than a minute that helps them feel even a little bit better, 
I feel like it can reduce that that super dangerous undertow of of potential depression that I think a lot of us can struggle with when we're overwhelmed. So I would just invite throughout our whole talk and throughout the rest of the day that your listeners kind of ask themselves, how, how, how much more comfortable could I be right now? Like our bodies, what could our body be doing that's more comfortable right this minute? Start now. The perfect time isn't going to just necessarily descend from the skies in front of us. We have to take it. We really do. Yeah, no, I really like that. Um, and honestly, like the, the relaxing the jaw, um, I was doing it, but I was trying not to do the ah. Uh, so like it didn't get too crazy on the podcast, like, like the sound. I know, I know that this is audio only. So um, uh, audience, imagine me taking the breaths and awing out. And it kind of reminded me of a stress relief technique that I love. Um, screaming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> where, where's your favorite place to scream? I'm just curious. <laughs> uh, usually, I usually put rage against the machine on as loud as I can. And I just scream with them. So I look less like a crazy person. Um, uh-huh. that's or, you- or Slipknot or like some kind of heavy metal song. And you just scream along with the song. And, you know, you just, you don't, you don't look like you're just standing outside screaming for no reason. You're screaming <laughs> for the song. Are you out in nature or are you in your car? In Usually your I'm in my kitchen. In your kitchen. Okay. <laughs> Usually I'm cooking dinner and I got right one here. kid trying to like steal food, like as I'm cooking it and stick his hand in the hot pan and another kid getting mad because I asked him to wash one dish. Oh, <laughs> wow. You know? Well, so yeah. Oh my goodness. When that well, happens, that's... it's slipknot time. It's what time? Oh, the, that, is that your favorite music? That's your favorite. Not time. Yes. Heavy metal. Scream along music. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All those, all of that, all of that. And I mean, it could turn into a whole other podcast, but especially for caregivers, again, if we just talk about the face, you know, I'm like body aware this and body aware that, but especially for us caregivers, we might not realize how much facial throat and chest control it takes to be whatever that other person caregiving basically means at this moment what that person needs is more important than what I need and that that's unsustainable right we can't always have what that person needs is above what I need but what that means is that you know a lot of times we might be really like getting irritated getting frustrated but we're controlling our voice and trying to speak calmly you know, we might be, um, you know, with someone who's losing their hearing and they don't want to use a hearing aid or maybe they have dementia and we're repeating ourselves over and over. It's getting louder and louder. That's stressing our throat, our voice, you know, and, it, you know, pretending we're in one mood when we're actually in another. We're we're caregiving and we're visiting someone who's sick or who's dying or whatever. And we're we're trying to be something in the room, but we're actually you know, the other thing that goes further down in our bodies, actually, if, if people could just cross their hands, if they're not, again, driving right now, or if they have their hands available safely, if they could just, if you just want to cross your hands over your chest and over your throat for a moment, just the middle of your chest, and just take a moment <clears throat> to notice how many muscles there are there. And it's just this area that's protecting our heart. And um if you want to, you can move your hands up and even just touch your throat because a really common sort of overwhelmed person experience is feeling like they need to cry and they're not in a situation where they can, you know, do that in terms of what's productive, you know, in the middle of work or in the middle of someone who's going to get really scared. 
So trying to not cry takes a lot of, I mean, are you noted? I mean, does it, does it take a lot of physical kind of control and muscle to try to not cry or try to not say what you really feel? Am I going in a direction that makes sense to you? Uh, yeah, actually, um, it's funny because this weekend on the caregiver retreat, I'm not a crier. Um, I've never really been a big crier. Um, I didn't cry at my wedding. I didn't cry at my grandmother's funeral. I watched every episode of This Is Us and didn't cry once. Um, I've watched My Girl Without Crying. I mean, I was traumatized, but I didn't cry. Um, so I, it, but it's, it's, I think it's from like, like you're saying the years in healthcare, the years working in healthcare where it didn't matter what I thought or what I felt. I needed to be there for the person that I was with at the time. It didn't matter what thing was going on in the next room. I needed to be there straight faced or or even happy, you know, and trying to look happy and upbeat and positive for the person that I was caring for. So it is it is really hard to shove those feelings down, but I got so good at it. I kind of like forgot how to do that release. Um and this weekend I learned how to cry again. So that's incredible. I mean, before we started this actual podcast portion of our connection today, Sarah, you were mentioning just briefly about this event that you went to that I saw a couple photos on Facebook. Did you, with, you know, it just sounded like the perfect thing. Do you, do you feel like sharing with your own listeners? Like what was so great about this weekend for you? Yeah. Um, I, well, I'm going to talk more about it in another episode, but I did go to the brutally beautiful retreat, um, with caregiving.com. Wait, I'm sorry. Can I, can I hear the name of that one more time? I sort of didn't catch that. Brutally beautiful retreat with caregiving.com. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was a really good time. It was, first of all, I met like 10 of the most, 11 of the most amazing people I'd ever met in my entire life. Uh, we were well cared for and we just, it, it was just, it was such a good time. It was, it really was. And it was, there were hard moments where we did a lot of like self-work. Um, but I, I knew that that was going to be a thing. We zip lined, which I'm terrified of heights and I can't believe I did it. Um, and we cheered each other on and we didn't just cheer each other on, on like the zip line and like with the things, but like with everything, you know, and it was just, it was just, it was a really special thing. And, um, I do want to talk more about that later. I'll get like more into detail on that down the line on Caregiver Chronicles. So stay tuned, but yeah, it was it was a thing. So thank you for, you know, mentioning it, mentioning it. Well, that's that incredible thing. Like the, the, uh, it was a group of caregivers all out being the care receivers. That's yeah. exciting. That's yeah, really it, exciting. It, yeah, it was, it was really, like I said, it was really, really great. I do. I do want to talk more about like like body over living. So we were doing the um, throat and we were talking about crying. Well, we were talking about crying and trying not to cry. So it's like, like trying not to say what you really think, trying not to cry when you feel like crying, trying to keep a straight face when trying to act energetic, when you're exhausted, all this, like trying to change how we really feel is involving our physical muscles. So, you know, there's like, all these different levels, but if we want to be really like exactly in the moment, it's taking a lot of muscles in our face and in our body 
to do those things. And so the one thing we might have immediate access to is our own muscles in our own body and just the awareness of like kindness to ourselves that if we're, for one thing, if we're exhausted, all that muscle use, how to think, well, here's what I really want to say, but here's the situation. And here's what would be more diplomatic to say. If I say this, this is likely like all that mental gymnastics that goes into figuring out what to say and then you know people are off at clenching their jaw or doing whatever when like this like think you know out pops that like statement that you think is going to just get you through the situation easier so just realizing that that that's a ton of work for our body and our mind and if we're tired there's a re reason um yeah. and then and then addressing our physical moment of well which muscles are tired which muscles are tight which muscles haven't gotten strengthened? Like, you know, for you cheering, you were in a group of people cheering. Well, cheering is fantastic. You know what I mean? Cheering is like this great, huge, like what, I mean, being cheerful and cheering. Like when you were cheering for each other, were you like yelling? What were you doing when you were cheering for each other? Clapping, yelling, uh, sending each other signals that like, hey, you know, I hear what you said. I love you. Like, I'm proud of you. You know, what the, was those types of things. Signal. I mean, what was an example of a signal? I know we're just doing putting, audio. Just putting your hand over your heart and just, you know, sending heart energy. Nice. Out. So That's it was beautiful. just, it was, it was, it was really cool. But yeah, cheering I, again, yelling and screaming is therapy. I don't, I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> it just, it just gets out the things, you know, it's a good release. Well, and, and other people who are talking too much or talking too loudly or repeating things, I mean, for them, just silence, hearing silence, finding silence, creating silence in their body. You know, we, we know that for, I know I'm doing a lot with the upper head and neck, but, you know, we know, oh, the back of my neck is tight back to this idea of like, like voice, like our, our vocal cords get tired. The muscles that produce sound get used so some people might want to yell other people might be like I just need to not speak I need to rest my voice I need to rest my mind I need to rest my face I need to and, and I need to know myself you know what worked for one I think that the trick to care receiving which is what you guys were practicing we keep pushing ourselves to be better and better caregivers how can I learn to be a better caregiver how can I build my caregiver skill but you were talking about a, a retreat weekend where everybody was learning how to be a care receiver. And I think that's a completely legitimate skill set. How do we become a better care receiver? How, what, what would we like when it's our turn? What helps us feel better personally? You know, yelling or quiet, group or alone, you know, one special person, whether we're introverted, extroverted, do we want to be in nature? Do we want to go to some you know, wild dance club, what, what does care receiving mean to us? And that, that switch that, oh, now the other person's more important. Oh, now the other person, we, we keep working that switch that in our life is if it's this like, you know, Pavlovian lever that we can keep, you know, hitting with our little hand that switches to that other person's more important, but we need to get better at, and we can get better at our care receiving skills. How quickly and with how little amount of guilt, hesitation, regret, or worry can we say, it's my turn now, 
and I'm not going to waste it worrying that it's my turn. No, it's my turn now. I need it. I want it. I deserve it. I can, how quickly can we get into, oh, my turn. And, and just go into the sat, we can make better use of our time and the limited opportunities in our schedule to receive care. If we go, okay, it's my turn. And we know how to flip that switch as well. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, a hundred percent. It does because it's, it's hard to say what you need when you're a caregiver or what the, the hardest question I've ever had to answer as, as a caregiver is, and other family caregivers can relate. What do you need in this moment? Mm-hmm. Or what do you want in this moment? There have been times, um, and I can actually give another example of this, but when you're so busy taking care of everyone else's needs and wants, your needs and wants kind of get smaller because it's like, it's always about them. One time I was, there was a man standing outside with a sign saying that he was hungry and we were going to McDonald's anyway. And I said, well, I said, what do you want? I I said, I'm going to McDonald's right now with my family. I'll happily buy you something. What do you want? And he looked at me like I was insane. Like nobody had ever asked this man what Mm -hmm. he wanted before. Um, People just gave him. And I don't think he knew how to answer that at first. And I said, well, I said, they have, you know, I said, I can get you a chicken sandwich. I can get you a cheeseburger. I can get you a salad. I can, I can get you whatever you want. What, what do you want? And he just was like, nobody's ever asked me what I wanted. Wow. I'm like, well, let's, let's get you. I'll be happy to get you whatever. So I got him two sandwiches, a water bottle. I think they had bananas there. So I'm like, you know what? I'll get this guy a banana. You know, I have something for later too. And it was just, it was just such a powerful moment for me to realize that that question isn't always asked. You know, we forget to ask that to people who need things the most. It's, it's what do you, you know what I mean? Like we, we just, we forget that. And especially for family caregivers, nobody asks us what we want or what we need. And half the time we have no idea or what we like. Even I, I can't tell you how many family caregivers I know who don't even know what they like anymore because they've been so ingrained with the caregiving. And it's just, it was just such a powerful moment to me again in that, in that sense. But yeah, like you're saying, like, we don't always know what our body needs. We don't always know what our body wants or how to relax or how to recharge because we forget time goes on and we just forget it. So. Well, and there's different phases of life. Like if we've been in a situation, you know, we're not the same person as we were every, you know, every two years or before being a parent, after being a parent, caregiver, not a caregiver. Like, you know, I, that deer in headlight moment in your beautiful story, I, I have a series of like four to simplify with caregivers. I have a series like when I'm doing like caring for the caregiving coaching, which is something I love. I have like, I try to keep things to only four, three or four of anything. I have four questions that I start with for caregivers. Do you have curiosity? Should I mention any of those? Yeah, let's do it. Let's share it. Yeah. This first question just gets that deer in headlights moment. Like that you were saying with this guy, the first question I ask is, are you as important as the people you're caring for? Right? <laughs> people are just like, whoa, heavy, you know? 
And then the second sign, and we've sort of been touching on this a little bit, is the second question is, what are the signs that I need help? What are the signs that you need help? And then the third question, it's sort of related. It, this, again, is like sort of one of these deer and headlight questions, the first and the third. <clears throat> what makes this easier for me? When there's a moment in your day and there's a million directions things could go, that question, well, what makes this easier for me? is it doesn't mean that every single time you're going to get to go do that thing that makes it easier or easiest for you but what a great it's like getting the ideal parking spot what if we knew how to like that would be the ideal and we circle outwards from something that is more and more challenging and less and less what makes it easier for a specific person and then the question is what you were talking about not you know how do we how do i get the help i need when it's our turn, where are our resources and which ones are going to be effective? And and how do we how do we flip that switch? It's like it's my time now or it's my turn now or it's my emergency now. We don't in our caregiving plans and in our caregiving structures, we don't have it usually figured out enough. Well, what about when I'm the one having an emergency? And it doesn't do anyone a any good to, to to have a plan that's so vulnerable that when we go oh what are the signs that I need help I'm showing those I'm what what would be some examples of signs that someone or that you when you need help what are some signs that that's kind of, other than you know screaming in your kitchen during the when you're holding knives and fire and you're screaming in your kitchen I mean that could be one what are some common signs in yourself or in your that you've heard in your friends and your community your your friends of the care friends of the show what are some common signs that you've noticed that people are like oh wow that person needs some there they need some help yeah i you know it's it's um with me there's there's i'm very fortunate like i said for a family caregiver i have an amazing support system i have a group of five very close friends that i can count on for anything I have a family that I has always had my back and my husband, you know, like he's, he's a fantastic father. So when I even start to get to that point where I'm showing signs, my husband will recognize like, Hey, maybe you need a girl's night. Like, why don't you invite a friend over and have some wine with your friends or, you know what, just go for a walk or go do something you know do, do something for just you and I recognize that I'm privileged to have that not all family caregivers have that I'm very privileged to have the support system that I have and I'm very grateful for my support system but that's the hardest thing I think again for family caregivers is recognizing those signs of like when when is it too much when when are you done in Again, family caregivers, we're always, we're always putting ourselves last. And most family caregiver, family caregivers will tell you that the person they care for is more important than them or their needs are more important than the caregiver's needs. And the fact of the matter is without our caregivers, the people who need care have nothing. Absolutely. So the importance is, is equal. It's, it's an equality, not a hierarchy. That's just my thoughts on it. Thank you for asking those questions. And I hope, um, again, I just want to say, I hope my my friends of the show, my audience, the people who are listening, I hope that you guys are asking yourself those questions too and, and answering them along just, just because 
I think that they're so important. And when you find the answers to those questions, I think it's a good way to figure out where you stand as a caregiver and, you know, just, just what avenues you can, you can go down for support. So I really love that. Can I, can yes. I stay and curious? I, can I stay curious with one for one more second? So absolutely the, you know, in, in your terrific story, you were like, oh, I have people around me who are like noticing changes in me and, and helping direct me towards my effective healing moments. But I'm so the 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 smaller the signs we need to experience, the faster we can do things before they've accumulated and we're screaming with knives. So what are some, you know, like, what are some things that you notice in yourself or that maybe your husband or some of these caring friends, what are some of the first signs that you're beginning to get a little off kilter? Like, what do they see or hear or notice in your, in what you're doing that they're like, ah, she's, she's escalating here. It's usually anger. Uh, that's, that's my first sign. Usually I'll start angry cleaning um, or or getting mad or like expressing anger over like dumb stuff. Not like, not like the big problem. I'll pretend like the big problem isn't there while I get angry over a little problem. And that's, that's just my, my thing. Usually like, um, I don't really have any great examples of it at this time, but I'll, I'll angry clean. I'll get up in the cabinet. I'll be like, Oh my God, this cabinet is a mess. I just cleaned it. And I'll start angrily throwing things off the, off the shelves slamming things down and usually it's just empty boxes and things like that that I'm like tossing around the house and my kids will be looking like all right here she goes and my son will be there with the trash can like trying to catch the boxes like like in the background like you know like yeah okay mom and and it's usually but that's that's usually the sign of like okay mom's about to pop like everybody let's either give her space or find a friend for her to spend a day with or whatever it is and when you when you come back that's that's awesome I mean I know this is just a podcast we're not going to use the video but I get to see you and you know the the image of you you know you're you're showing as you know I could picture you standing on a stepladder because you're showing your arms hurling things over your shoulders behind you and the, the visual even if we don't use it is just hilarious of that scene um so when you come back from some that you know okay you know mama went and had her her wine and a matinee or whatever she needed when you come back from that how do you feel and behave differently and what do people notice when you've had the that even a couple minutes or hours of the care you need how does how does you how do you present differently and how do you feel differently usually it's apologetic usually it's like hey guys sorry flipped out on you earlier (laughs) you know um that's that's always the first thing because again when you're when you're at the brink and you're at the breaking point and you're frustrated and you're expressing that frustration to those you care for those around you even those who don't like have anything to do with the situation you just call them and you vent and you realize like oh crap I'm screaming at my friend right now who had nothing to do with this and it's like hey I'm just so you know I'm not screaming at you I'm screaming to you and um you, you know what I mean like usually it's an apologetic uh feeling and then and then that comes with the next layer of the guilt like oh crap I shouldn't have done it but also though it's it's a reminder of like I'm human and like I messed up I needed a break and I don't know I don't really that's yeah 
that's just usually after that I'm calmer and everything's fine and we can go about our day as planned or whatever evening, whatever it is. Thank you for adding those extra layers of detail. That's that, you know, that, that whole combination of things that we're discussing is what I would put into the category of injury reduction, you know, injury to our own body, but also injury to our relationships, injury to our housing situation, injury to our, our finances, injury to, you know, some, uh, one of our goals that we've been working towards that we can kind of blow pretty easily by, you know, popping off with something that's inappropriate or, you know, pounding away and sending some angry email that you can't unsend. I mean, that whole combination of how do we, we already have enough problems. How do we not create more problems while we're in a level of low function is, is just the whole philosophy that I'm trying to get better at with people. I think that that's such a great thing to do. Um, I also wanted to talk, cause I know you have a lot, like, like you talk about grieving a lot in your book, Body Aware Grieving. And I want to talk a little bit about how grief affects our body. The first question would be really open-ended of like, people would say, well, what is grief? And how do I know if I'm experiencing it? And you know, that, that question, like, what is, what is the word grief and grieving? I would, I would say that grief, I I define it really generally. There's a lot of definitions out there and it's as personal as each one of us, you know, each person's going to really be very different and what we each find healing, what, what upsets us each is different and what we each find healing is different. So I consider grief very broadly kind of anything we wish was different and we don't have control over like really generally you know whether we had to move out of a house that we loved you know even if it's because a partner had a had some great job opportunity somewhere else I mean I think the broader we I just any any life change or disappointment that we wish were a little bit different could cause what I would say is a moment you know grief over a period of aging oh I used to love being in college and it was easy to see my friends and you know now some of them aren't is accessible or, you know, any, anything that I think is sort of a deep disappointment could be to me triggering a sense of, of grief. And the idea of grief to me is like, just the first question is like, you know, what's happening? Like, what is the situation? You know, just the reality people are like, well, I, you know, my mom passed away or whatever. And it's like, well, what happened? Well, I used to have a mom and now I don't like just this confusion. I think grief is usually related to some life change. And I think initially part of what can be soothing to this experience of shock, especially early on about a change is, is this cure, this confusion of grief. Like, Oh, I was dating somebody and now he hasn't called for four days or, you know what I mean? Like, wow, I went from being excited to thinking I might've not be, you know, dating this person I was excited about. Like, like what is happening? Just the reality of it is 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 going to be soothing. Oh, this was that, and now this is this, you know. And I think the next question about grief and grieving is like, you know, what what's real and true for me for this moment? Like, what am I actually feeling? Even if it's just, you know, some people don't want to do that moment because they feel like I'll just lose control of my emotions and I don't have enough time in my day to go as deep into what you know. So part of what I'm trying to do is help people create like a healing action plan of like, how do you come up with, 
you know, activities as, as small as five to 15 or even less minutes per day that will let you uh, have access to like, what am I truly feeling right now? I might need to go pretend I'm feeling something different or sort of force myself to function differently in a minute. But what's real and true for me right now? And how do I ask myself that often enough that there's not this huge backlog of emotion behind it that we feel like I just won't be able to pull it together again and get to my next task? You know, if we ask ourselves what's I might need to put a mask on and fake it till I make it to get through that next appointment or part of my day. But to actually ask yourself more often, what am I truly feeling right now? What's real and true? And. I, I might be kind of going off in a couple different directions, but I think those are questions necessary before you can be more efficient and effective at seeing, okay, so that happened. I'm really disappointed or sad about it or mad about it. And, you know, what will help me feel better in the, in the five minutes that I might have right now? And and how do I do something right now that's going to address the fact that I'm feeling X because of Y? And I think that's what I call skillful grieving. I think just like we can get better at caregiving, we can get better at being the care recipient. We can flip those switches. The more we have confidence that we can flip on the switch of like whatever we call grieving and switch it back off when we need to sort of get through that next moment or drive safely, whatever we need to do. I think the skillful grieving is... Um, I forgot how I define it in the book, but the skillful grieving is uh, the ability to approach a difficult situation or emotion in a way that helps us feel better and not worse afterwards. And that's yeah. what I think we can get better at. Um, yeah. If we're going to have a lot of regret, shame, guilt, worry, um, ruminating over something, berating ourselves over something we wish were different, that we had done differently. Uh, those kinds of emotions, I think, are very common. But I also would, would say that skillful grieving is learning how to spend less time in those emotions, because I think we can spend a lot of energy feeling shame, guilt, regret, worry. Um, and those emotions usually don't produce do much they cost a lot to our daily body but they usually don't produce much for us they don't produce relief they don't produce solutions they don't improve our level of function throughout the day yeah uh, so, so a lot of this has a ton of layers I've been working on this stuff for like 25 years so <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of layers no. to this one I don't want to take over the whole show but yeah all kind no of but like you're saying like there's a lot of layers to it but it's so important in also, just the fact that, like, acknowledging that you're feeling bad, yeah. it's how many people don't make the time to just acknowledge that, like, I'm still upset about blank or, you know what I mean? I'm still brokenhearted because blank. And, like, like you said about masking it for the next person, like, yeah, a lot of times or the next activity or whatever. A lot of times you do have to do that. A lot of times you do have to put the mask on that. That's, that's life. It shouldn't be shameful, but it also shouldn't be shameful to feel bad about a situation either. Like, like both things can coexist, you know, you're not just trying to replace the bad feelings with a positive feeling, you know, it's, you're just, you're acknowledging it and like, okay, how can I address it really quick right now? And then what do I got to do next? Yeah, that that's what I would call, you know, 
uh, again, I think that's in my book. I haven't read my own book in a little while, but I have uh, a transition 10 is something I do a lot. So it could be 10 seconds. It could be when you're in the bathroom. It could be before you start driving for sure. 10 seconds, 10 minutes, you know, 10 hours, 10 days. There might be certain situations we need 10 months to deal with, you know, but how do we have, for, let's just say for as short as like a 10 second transition to say, I like what you just walked through was perfection. I couldn't have done it any different. And I don't even know how to quote what you just said immediately. We'd have to look at the transcript from this, but you said, you know, here's what happened. Here's how I feel. Here's, you know, what I need to do next. And I do need to make a transition. Here's me consciously making a transition from how I, currently feel in this one circumstance to what I need to do next so that I can do that next activity more safely and more skillfully and not create some new additional setback, like I said. So that process, even if it's just 10, sec 10 seconds, and I would encourage it between like, if you're certainly if you're going to sit in your car, like take that extra 10 seconds, 10 minutes, if you have it. And, and just make sure that whatever you're currently upset about, you've, you've, acknowledge the part of you that that's real and true for enough that you can ask yourself, am I safe to drive right now? And, and sometimes the answer will be no. It won't always be convenient to give yourself the care you need. It won't fit into your plan. It's not in our plans a lot of times to have our own emergencies. But, you know, if we could look, that's why I like to look at something I call the wellness 100. I don't know, we talked about, I don't want to, we talked about that in our first phone call when we weren't recording, but this idea of like, there's a, you can give yourself a score from zero to 100, 100 being you at your highest level of function, zero is complete lack of function. And you can say, well, how, how well am I functioning right now? What are the signs that I'm functioning well or poorly? Oh, I just hit my knee and I didn't know why, or I, you know, I'm yelling, you know, what's, what's my current level of function? on a scale of one to a hundred. And then you can say, well, which activities can I safely accomplish at the level of function I currently have? And it, the, the, the goal of having a little bit of math, a number attached to it is also again, meant to reduce any sort of hesitancy or guilt or shame. It's like, if you have signs that you're, a low level of function, like on a scale of one to 100, you might be like, okay, I can't stop crying. I couldn't decide what to wear, what to get dressed. I, you know, if you sit in your car, I, I, I put the two, I, I was holding my toothbrush, but I couldn't remember whether or not I'd already brushed my teeth. All right. So you've got signs that there's a level of function that's hovering down around 50 or lower. And you might just save yourself a whole heap of trouble by going, I am not well enough to drive right now. Period. Yeah. Period. No, it's not convenient, but it's neither is having a car accident. So yeah. the, the math is meant to make a quick decision that's skillful without a lot of emotional, oh, but I really need to go do X or Y, or this person's relying on me, or this person I'm caring for has the doctor's appointment. It's like, well, don't, don't hurt yourself and others. If you're not ready to drive, you're not. And it's not going to be convenient to say I'm having an emergency and whatever else needs to be canceled right now. And also we do that with our physical health without even like thinking about it. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like with our physical health, like if we get sick with the flu, we know we have the flu. We know, we know we can't, we shouldn't be going to, I hope to God anyway, that anyone who listens to my show when they're sick with the flu, that they're staying home and in bed because well, again, you don't want to hurt others. You don't want to give the flu to others. Are you really safe to drive if you got like a 103 fever and you're a little bit delirious and you're going back from hot and cold? You know what I mean? Like, should should you really be at work that day? Do you really need to do these things? Are you going to be able to focus when when you're physically ill? We just forget to do that with our mental ill, our mental health. I, you know, but we do that with our physical health all the time. Can I physically safely accomplish this task? How many times do we do something? And the question is, can are you know are you physically safe to do? Even again, for example, zip lining. You know, you can't zip line if you have like a major heart condition. Are you physically safe to do it? Yes or no. It's you know, it's kind of one or the other. Same thing with driving. If you're blind, you're physically not safe to drive. There's no stigma to that. Yeah, that 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 speed that speeding things up with um, you know, when you said no stigma. And then there's the stealth stigma. And, you know, and on that word of stigma, you were, we use the words mental health and physical health. And, and I'll use those expressions because I know that they're really common. And I know that people generally have a sense of what they mean when we say mental health versus physical health. But I personally would go a whole big step different and say, you know, all health is health because where is mental health? It's in our brain. Where's our brain? Our brain is in our body and how do we know we're having bad mental health we're having a low level of mental health because we're doing something with our body that's showing ourselves and others we're not well if you're pounding your hand into a brick wall because you're having a mental health issue you're having a physical sign that you have if you can't get off your sofa for four days and take a shower you're having a mental health issue but you're seeing it displayed physically there's hardly any mental health problem that we could be having that we don't know we're having it or because we're displaying something physically, you know? So this distinction, again, one has more stigma than the other very commonly, but I, I would just say that all health is just health and even mental health. By the time we have a sign that mental health has degraded and needs our care and needs our patience and needs our focus and needs our healing. By the time we know that there's something physically demonstrating to ourselves and others that this isn't going to work, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, could I go back? Cause I, I've sort of addressed that in the, in the sort of, the, there's the basic kind of wellness 100 and I've got a level that you and your people are probably really skillful enough and to, to kind of get this advanced level. Can I share that one more level? Of course. Did I do that? Yeah. So the wellness 100 is exactly this. So it's like the level of function and it's based on how well each person usually functions. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. What's you on your best day? And that's all you're ever going to have is you on your best day. And then maybe today's not your best day. So where are you? Right. So I, I also the advanced level, the fancy level for the caregiver chronicle community is uh, two scores on the wellness 100. So one score is how you're feeling, which is what I would say is more emotional. And the other score is how you're functioning. 
because those scores aren't always in accordance. They're not always the same. And we gave some examples when we were talking just on our own, but it's sort of like you could be feeling really depressed. And we have a lot of examples of this that people, oh, we didn't know. They were going to work. They were smiling. They're answering phone calls. They were driving safely. They were, you know, sitting at a restaurant ordering their food. They were functioning at a high level, but they were feeling depressed, sad, anxious, and and even suicidal is is of extreme concern. So you could be your feeling number, what you're happening in emotionally could be potentially low, but you could be functioning outwardly at a pretty high level. And in the reverse can be true too. You could be um, functioning level, you know, you have a flu, you have a cold. Well, you're, you can't sit up without feeling, you can't sit up at the edge of your bed without thinking you're going to vomit. Well, that's a really low level of function, but you could actually be feeling pretty okay. Life's going well, you're getting ready for your, you know, something you're looking forward to, you know, you could actually be quite quite happy or satisfied, but you're physically, your function level's low. So if people could say how they're feeling, what's happening to me emotionally right now, and how am I functioning, both those numbers can help you make a better choice throughout the day when they're combined. Um, so we talked about switching back and forth between here's how, here's the life event that I might be sad about or grieving about, that's what I'm feeling, Right. I'm sad at this level over this thing, for example, but functioning is, you know, okay, but I'm actually functioning pretty well, you know, and we should be proud of that if it's happening that way. And sometimes we're not like, but if you, if you have both those numbers and you can add the like mathematics to it, um, you know, I either do have the numbers I need to go accomplish this next task or I don't. And maybe we can just, uh, get through each day a little easier because we're not spending as long making those decisions. Yeah. No, I really like that. Um, and I like that it's, I like that there are two different skills and again, you can, you can get the stomach bug and mentally, you know, not, not, not be struggling emotionally. You can just get the stomach bug and be like, okay, I have the stomach bug. I'm going to spend the day in bed. It doesn't mean your mental health is struggling, you know, and again, vice versa, Physically, you can be doing great and mentally you can be, again, taking it back to music or um, movies. Robin Williams, Chester Bennington, we always saw them smiling and happy and um, so many, so many other celebrities I can think of that just like that just seemed like the happiest, like nicest people. And then, you know, just they just weren't and nobody saw that because again with the mask and the you know instead of them maybe they just kept masking and masking and masking i don't know um until there was nothing left of them there was no nothing left for the mask i don't know um but yeah you can you can be so low in that and still be getting things done there were times i wanted to die like i really wanted to die and i still managed to somehow or another get my family fed and get things done, even though I wanted to walk in front of a bus or, or whatever. Um, and again, I just want to say this too really quick. This is so important for my friends of the show, my audience, my listeners, anybody listening, 988. If you're feeling that way, if you're on that scale and you're really low on that mental scale and you need support, 
988. You can call or text the suicide hotline or 741-741. You can text home to them and that is a crisis text line. Nobody is going to show up at your house with butterfly nets or a straight jacket. I just want to let you guys know that right away. That is not what happens when you call those lines. So don't be afraid to reach out for help if you're feeling that way. I mean, your your honesty in sharing this is is super touching, Sarah. I think the honesty to say I I could feed my kids and I I was actually it sounds like you're actually contemplating. You're at the point where you were so low that you're actually contemplating. Yeah. Su- suicide. I yep. mean I mean, thank you for being willing to share this. I think this is the unspeakable thing that we need to speak about more because when stress gets too high, just about anybody could could feel that way. I mean, very few of us wouldn't at some point if enough combinations of things are hard at the same time. We're going to cut this week's episode of Caregiver Chronicles here. And Margot is going to be back next week. And it's going to, this is going to segue us into a heavier topic on suicide. Um, Margo, really quick, where can my audience find you? Well, thank you, Sarah. And I'm glad we're going to just continue this, this, you know, deeper discussion, but people can uh, reach me. Bodyawareliving.com is my website and people can put their email address there. There's an area on the bodyawareliving.com website for stay connected by email. I don't, I don't send out very many, but it's a way to keep up with what I'm doing. I'm going to, I want to try to have a really low cost way for people to have access to some of my like fitness and some of the coaching and stuff at a really low, not everyone can afford private stuff. So I'm trying to research what it would be to have an app. So I don't, that's just something I'm working on and I'd be able to let people know by email. I also have my own podcast, like you said, Body Aware Living. So I'm on WCN. I'm on the Whole Care Network. If people listen from there, I also have my page on the Whole Care Network, but also wherever uh, most podcasts are being heard. I also have Body Aware Living on uh, YouTube. And then there's videos of my podcasts and also some of my ex- exercises and stuff. Body Aware Living, if they wanted to subscribe and get notified, because um, I want to interview you and your husband if he's available. So you, I want to have you guys as guests on my show as well. And that's how yes. they'd make your, your friends of your show would be able to hear and know that they, when you're you as a guest that uh, comes on. Um, so those are some of the things. There's also a Facebook group, uh, Body Aware Living. And um, yeah, that's some of the main ways that we can just move forward together. And I'm just really passionate about having as many people who need it have access to, if there's any way I can help any of you get through your day a little easier, that's just really a joy to do so. Well, thank you so much, Margo. And again, all of your links will be in our show notes for my audience and um we will also share them out and include them when we share this episode so thank you for listening and we'll see you next week